the Young and Healthy Podcast. You're listening to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. This is episode four and I am Kate Setter. I'm your host for today. I'm a member of the communications team here at Cincinnati Children's and I'm super excited to be joined in our studio by Dr. Suzanne Samping, who is joining us to talk about kids and screens and social media. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. Dr. Samping, will you just um, take a couple of minutes to introduce yourself to us and to our audience, please? Yeah, sure. My name is Suzanne Samhang. I am a child and adolescent psychiatrist, and I've been practicing here at Cincinnati Children's for about 20 years now. I currently do work, my main work is within the hospital. I work with adolescent patients on the inpatient unit at College Hill. I also do some outpatient work, and I've been involved with some training in, training in education. Fantastic. We're so glad you're here today. How long have you been interested in understanding more about um, like the social media impact on kids and their health and their mental health? Oh, probably before I was a child psychiatrist. I think this has been something that's been evolving in our culture for decades and as it becomes more and more embedded into the culture of kids um, I've just been it's come up clinically with patients but I think it's also part of our kids normal everyday lives and so it's something that I think about a lot and I think it starts pretty young for a lot of kids that screens are becoming more the live um, more included in lives of kids sometimes as young as toddlers and maybe even younger. Will you um, kind of start us off with just a little bit about what we know about the impact that screens have on kids? Sure. Well, you know, and it is a pretty new phenomenon that our kids all, you know, the majority of kids, more than 50%, actually have their own devices in a a phone back when I grew up was like a rotary dial with a thing that hung up on the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they're really computers, fully functioning computers. Um, but so there's, I think, good and bad things to all of these um, developments. And, you know, com- cell phones and devices are no exception. On the one hand, I think it can be great for development in that. There are lots of learning apps um, that can help kids learn math, for example, uh, spelling, geography, and, and those are all great additional ways for just learning um, academic skills. I think um, anything in extreme can be bad for development. Um, number one, because it um, just can pull us away from other North normal, healthy, developmental things that kids should be doing, like playing and running and exercising and interacting with peers. But there's also the effect, and we hear this a lot, of the blue lights and just being in front of screens too much, the impact that that can have on neural and brain development. A lot of of that isn't fully fleshed out, but there are some associations with 
um, extreme use of screen time and development of certain problems like ADHD. And in adolescence, there's a, an association of ex excessive screen time with things like depression too. So do you have kind of a rule of thumb that parents could keep in mind with younger kids for, for how much screens would represent a moderate amount? Yeah, that's a great question. Unfortunately, there's not really a rule of thumb. And we used to say, well, as recently as 10 years ago, that you know, no more than two hours of screen time a day for any kid. And, and really, that's as, as it's become embedded in so much of the culture, not only like um, a lot of academics are delivered via screens, entertainment for kids is delivered via screens, and that it's really estimated now that upwards of seven hours of a day for kids are spent on screens. And so there's not really a hard and fast rule. It, I, it tends to go with, you know, you have to go with the development of your child and what is appropriate for every child. And it's going to be a different answer for every child. So based on their social development, their emotional development. Um, so uh, it would vary for every kid. I'm sure that's not the answer that parents want to hear because they want to hear like, you know, I want to be able to tell my kid that they're only recommended to have two hours a day, but that's not really going to be the case for every kid all the time. But it seems like there are some guidelines to other things that kids should be doing as well. And if they, perhaps that's a, another way to think about it is that screens can be part of a day, but so should be running outside and um, independent play and those types of things. Is that maybe an okay way to think about it? A hundred percent. You're absolutely right. That it's really about a well-rounded development, which includes physical exercise, time spent with family. There should definitely be times without screens, um, like a screen-free zone. There should be you know, a time, especially around bedtime when, when screens are, are not involved. Um, and so creating opportunities to have those other healthy interactions and other activities is really what the most important thing is. I like that a lot. Um, I think that does give some, some great guidelines and I understand that every child is different. I wanna go back to one thing that you mentioned in one of your um, earlier answers was the fact that a quote unquote phone now is essentially a computer in a child's pocket. That really opens up the door to a lot of internet related, I guess, risks of kids having access to that. Will you talk a little bit about what some of those risks are and what parents should be thinking about when they're considering giving their adolescent a phone of their own? Yeah, there's lots of things to consider. One thing is, is, you know, bullying can happen electronically. And so I think parents need to be aware of that. But it also it's that, you know, there can be for adolescents, um, risky sexting types of behaviors that can happen, exposure to pornography sites, exposure to violent content. So videos, 
things like that with violent content. You hear a lot about on social media, um, social comparisons, people comparing themselves to other people and then and then having some issues with self-esteem because they see some sort of idealized portrayal of a child and they think, well, I, I should have that myself. And then I think there's all of the other things about being hacked, you know, your identity being stolen. There could be exposure to dangerous people on the internet, people that are looking to exploit or abuse children. And then just oversharing of personal information. Kids don't often think about those types of things. Those are a lot of really big, heavy things. How do we help kids understand that there's a world out there that they don't fully understand, but maybe they're not developmentally ready to understand yet? Do you have any thoughts on how we can broach that subject as parents with kids so that they're careful but not scared? Yeah, that's a great a great point. And um, there's a saying that goes, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And so I think that's where before you ever allow your child to get on a, to maybe even get a device period, that you set some ground rules. Um, and that you do that, the younger your child, the more supervision you're going to have around it and so more safeguards around them, limiting the sites that they're going to, putting all of those parent protections in place, having maybe have only having them have access to it when you as a parent can be around to supervise it. As, as your child gets older and progresses maybe into that teenage, those teenage years and they can be given more independent time, but you'll still want to put some safeguards in place. And so, you know, some of those ground rules might be, you know, if, if your child is, let's say, 10 or 11, what sites are they allowed to go to um, to make sure that they're age appropriate? What are the time parameters? What's the length of time? What are the what are the times when it's no screen time? So some of those might be no screens at dinner, no screens an hour or two before bedtime, that the, that the devices have to go to a certain place and that there's an understanding that parents um, can have access to their social media accounts or their their histories of where they've been. And so setting those things up and having a mutual understanding about that in the beginning is is really important. When you have a teenager, you might, you know, have those conversations more openly with them about some of the concerning things. I wouldn't tell, you know, my eight-year-old child about the risk of sexting and pornography sites, but I would tell a 16-year-old or 15-year-old about those things. And so that's where the developmental um, assessment of where your child is at is so important. I've heard from parents um, along the way that some are concerned about like access to their kids' phones because they feel like they're 
breaching trust or privacy. It, it sounds like you're recommending starting from the beginning that it's open and parents can look at it at any time. Did I understand you correctly on that recommendation or do you have thoughts on where maybe there are boundaries that parents might consider? Um, yeah, I think you'll, um, I think when you're, you have a younger child, probably the, those, it's, it should be more off limits. And then as you get older, you'll have to gauge that depending on your child. You know, um, I go back to, you know, when I grew up, it was kind of around the diary, you know, and um, parents would respect that. But if there was a need to look into it, if there was something concerning, then they should look into it. And they kind of equate those things on kind of the same level. I think if you have suspicions that your child is struggling with any type of mood issues or maybe you have a sus suspicion that your child is being bullied electronically, I think that would be the time to have an open conversation and not that you should pry, but I think parents often have a suspicion that something is going on and, and try to have that conversation to try to open up the channels of communication. And then if you still suspect that something is going on, there might be times for the health of your child that you might have to kind of um, break mm -hmm. past that privacy boundary because you're concerned about the self, the safety or health and well-being of your kid. I think it's a really interesting, you know, I, I'm particularly interested in, in this conversation today because I have a 12-year-old. So we're kind of right in the middle of a lot of these things. And we went ahead and got a cell phone for her last summer because she was going to be away from us for a couple of weeks and I needed her to be able to communicate. And quickly the conversation turned to social media. She wanted to have her own accounts on social media. And so I'm, I'm really curious your thoughts on, are there some platforms that are safer than others are there any, you know, good ways to kind of dip your toe in with good precautions in place? Or do you think that it's safest just to say, you know, no all around? This is a tough question. I mean, all um, social media platforms, they're, they're actually rated. They have age ranges. Although, um, you know, a lot of people don't follow them and they're not really regulated in any type of way. And it's hard for, I think as a parent, is if all of their kids are on an app, let's say that's rated for a 13-year-old a or a 14-year-old and your child's 12, and all of their friends are on it, um, are you then depriving them of a social outlet that, that they and all of their peers have? It's, it's a really tough decision to make. But I think you can navigate that with your individual child, just knowing them, like, who who are their friends that are on it? Are there trusted adults that would also be on it and have access to it, such as you? Or maybe there's a trusted aunt or godmother mm -hmm. or someone, mm -hmm. and trusted adults have access to it, so that there are people that care about your child who are also 
looking out for their well-being on those um, websites, I think, is, is one possible solution. But you also have to know whether your child is ready for it or not. And that's a hard question to answer, I know. But as far as are there apps that are better than others, it's such a moving landscape. There are new apps that are out there all the time. My, my gen, I'm dating myself, but my generation, it was all Facebook. And now kids think that Facebook is really only for old people. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and things that, you know, you know, 15 years ago were the newest and biggest things like MySpace don't even exist anymore. And so it's, it is really such a moving target for me to to say that one platform is better than the other. It's, I think it's more about building the safeguards into the, the community itself and knowing what your, your child is getting into it and what's, what kind of activities are going on there. That makes a lot of sense. Um, where we ended up with it is um, a private Instagram account. She's so she, we have to approve people who want to be friends and we only approve people that she knows in real life. Mm -hmm. And so that in real life thing was a really big part of what I've been trying to, trying to do in these, um, in these instances, um, because COVID definitely threw us a wrench. I, I let, um, both of my older two have the like messenger kids so that they could talk to friends Mm -hmm during the pandemic, like that was just so, so hard for them socially. So I'm really pleased that you kind of mentioned the, this idea of, well, if all of their friends are there, are we depriving them of a social outlet? And that can also go back to the, to the, um, the bullying that you were mentioning, because it is just so deeply rooted in how these kids socialize. Mm -hmm. Um, is, is there anything we should be thinking with, with that or anything in particular on that topic that you think is worth talking about? Um, yes. Um, first of all, I love the solution that you came up with because it is that dipping your toe in the water. And COVID definitely threw a wrench into things for kids because um, – Kids were so socially isolated when when school went virtual and they couldn't go and run around with their friends as they used to before. So COVID definitely threw a wrench. And, and, and for a lot of kids, the only way that they could stay connected to friends was electronically. Um, but to get back to your um, question about cyberbullying, you know, bullying... <laughs> You know, physical bullying, emotional bullying was bad enough. With the introduction of electronics, you know, it really can take it to a whole nother level. Um, Back in the day when, um, before electronics, you know, when children went home from school or the playground where bullying would typically happen, the bullying stopped and kids got a reprieve from it. Now with with cyberbullying, it can really happen 24/7 on weekends, and it can it can be relentless, mm-hmm. and it can really occupy a lot of. Uh, if you're a victim of that, you know a lot of your time and mental energy, um, and things that get put out 
on various platforms, it can go viral really quite quickly. And once something's out there, it's hard to pull it back and get it taken down. You know, the other thing is that with traditional bullying, you kind of know, you knew who your bully was. You could see them, they were in your face and uh, taunting you directly. And and with cyberbullying, it can happen anonymously now, Mm -hmm. which adds another level of complication to it. So um, it is more difficult. And I think it's what every parent needs to be aware of. I think kids, I think, need to be aware of it too. And it's important to stand up if they see it happening, mm-hmm. for for kids to stand up for their peers against cyberbullying and to let school authorities know. Not a lot of people know that most states, Ohio included, there are laws against cyberbullying and um, so that there are real actions that schools can and should take if it's happening. So going back to the point that you made earlier about prevention being key in a lot of these ways, what could a plan, a pre-plan for what to do if a child either experiences or witnesses cyberbullying, what could that plan look like? Well, first of all, I think it's to speak up. You know, a lot of um, kids will often think, well, if I just ignore it, it'll just go away. But it often doesn't. And so I think to um, speak up about it, let um, a trusted adult parent, teacher, um, principal, let someone know that it's happening. You're either witnessing it happening or it's happening to you. Um, Because then that's the quickest way to to put a stop to it. And then, you know, to seek help. I mean, it's really common um, and it's not something that kids have to endure and, and just take. Um, And so really being able to have those open conversations as, as your kids are getting more involved with electronics to kind of say like, Hey, if you ever see this happening, I know it happens a lot. And Mm -hmm. at some point it could happen to you. And I want to know about it um, because it's not something that you have to put up with. I think that there's an embarrassment factor for a lot of kids in these instances. And I I like what you're saying about talking to them early. Like, we know this happens. It's not something to be ashamed of. We just need to know what it is so that we can handle it. Because definitely some of the the stories that I've read, and of course I can't remember where I read them at this point, but kids just kind of end up being alone and being embarrassed and hurt and unsure what to do. And that just spirals out of control really quickly. And the, the best thing that we can do is, is to let them know that it's, this is not something that is u- unique to them. It's actually really common, and, and they shouldn't have to suffer through it alone. I really like that. Is there anything else as we're um, – I, I think we've talked about so many fantastic things. I'm, I am hopeful that this conversation will be extremely helpful to some parents who are trying to figure out how do you navigate this. Um, is there anything else that you would add that we haven't talked about yet? Well, I, I will just say, I know we've talked a lot about the, the scary and bad things that can happen with electronics, but that it's not all bad, that there are mm-hmm. lots of good things that happen electronically and even on social media, that it can be a, a way for, 
for kids who are socially isolated to make social connections and to have, to really enhance their personal relationships. Um, a lot of families too will think, well, gosh, if I don't allow my kids to have an electronic, they're going to be, electronics will be left in the dust because it is so much embedded into our lives and will be part of their academic and professional lives going forward. So it's not all bad, but it's really about having that, that healthy balance. It can be an important and, and entertaining and fun part of kids' lives, but it can't be all of their lives. I like that. Right back to moderation. It's about doing many different things that can include electronics. I think that's fantastic. That was a really great topic. Thank you so much for your time. I very much appreciate. Thank you for having me. Fantastic. Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much again. And uh, thank you listeners for tuning in to Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. This episode was recorded on June 28th, 2021. The content of the Young and Healthy Podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Our theme music was produced by Stephen Grieco. Thanks, Stephen. This episode was produced by Symphony Pitts. Thanks for listening and join us next time. Follow Cincinnati Children's on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.